Heavenly Father, we are amazed at your grace. For we recognize that ultimately all that we do have is you. And Lord, all that you are to us is ultimately all that we need. For you are our God. You are our creator. You are our redeemer. You are our savior, our comforter, our counselor, our friend. Lord, we thank you that we can turn to you this morning. We can seek you in prayer and seek your face. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to have a sense of your presence this morning with us. As we sing your praise, as we hear your truth, as we worship together, as we walk with you in this moment. Lord, as we look at our world, we know a world full of problems and strife and calamity. Lord, we know those down south in Alabama are dealing with tornadoes and loss of life and California with incredible flooding, also more loss of life. World conflict that we see in Ukraine, even in the Middle East with Israel, there's conflict there in Tel Aviv. Oh God, we cry out to you for peace in a world that's full of calamity and conflict. Lord, we ask that you would move in this world that you move in the leaders of our world, that they would bend their knee ultimately to you. Lord, as we recognize that all the nations are but a drop in the bucket compared to you, and you bring leaders up and you take them down for your purposes. But Lord, we ask that you would bring peace with all the conflict that's going on that lives would be saved and opportunities would be created for the cause of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that there are churches throughout the world where your truth is proclaimed and Lord, we ask that the power of your word would, would go forth in strength and might by the power of your Holy Spirit that more and more would turn to you in a time of need. And Lord, even in our own country where we have our own problems, our own issues, trouble in our schools, conflict in homes, with families and turmoil. Lord, you know the hearts before me. You know what everyone's dealing with, whether it's a health concern, an upcoming surgery, financial situations, relationships going the wrong way. God, you know it all full well, and we turn to you right now because we have nowhere else to turn and ask for your help, for your guidance, for your protection. Lord, we thank you that you are always there no matter what. We can always turn to you in times of trouble. Now, Lord, as we turn to this service, we offer it to you that it would be a sweet aroma before you as we offer the sacrifice of praise, as we lift your word up high to hear it, to be moved by it, 
that you might be exalted as head over all, that we be submitted to you and you alone in all things. So Lord, have your way in this congregation, have your way in this place as we submit ourselves afresh to you this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this place where we can gather as your people. Bless our time together, we ask. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. Nick? Good morning. It's good to see everyone today. Welcome to Oakwood Bible Church. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, please look in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, we've got some community cards there. If you want to fill that out, bring it out to the Connect Center after the service. We'd love to talk with you. We've got a gift for you as well. So we look forward to meeting you. Uh, Oakwood University, we're going to be going through spiritual formation and discipleship. And it begins this Thursday, nope, Wednesday, January 18th at 6 p.m. in the Family Life Center. This is a 10-week course that's been adapted from A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. And it's for those who are longing to deepen their relationship and walk with God in a biblical and meaningful way. We're hoping that you're able to join us. There is a sign-up sheet at the Connect Center. Uh, ladies Breakaways, this Thursday, January 19th, from 5.30 to 7 o'clock at Grand Travers Pie Company. Uh, ladies of all ages are invited, and we hope to see you there. I say we, I won't be there. <laughs> they hope to see you there. <laughs> I wasn't invited anyway, so, and that's fine. Uh, Oakwood Bible Church Valentine's Dinner. Join us Friday, February 10th at 6 p.m. at the Essen House. Uh, it, down in Middlebury. Uh, we will have a lot of fun, games, prizes, good food. Don't know if you've ever been there. Uh, good food is definitely an understatement. Uh, and a wonderful speaker for the event, Christian author and Focus on the Family speaker, Tim Shoemaker. Cost is $60 per couple. Please sign up and pay by February 5th at the table in the foyer. If you have any other questions, feel free to bring them to Kathy. She has all of the answers. <laughs> it's true. Uh, all right, 15 minutes after the service today, there's going to be a brief congregational meeting about the exciting developments concerning the renovation for the front of the sanctuary that we are proposing to do. If you are a member or a regular attender, we hope that you're able to join us for this brief meeting. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we sang about it. Um, Lord, thank you for your grace. Uh, we, we know that we deserve nothing from you, yet you... Uh, yet you pursue us, and yet you offer this, this incredible grace. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we receive that from you, we'd be more than willing to give that to those around us, Lord. Um, uh, I pray that all of our worship is pleasing to your ears. I pray that we're all coming at it from the right heart, um, hoping to honor and glorify you today, Lord. I pray you bless the rest of this service. Be with Brad as he brings a message. I ask these in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Well, at this time, I'd like to invite you to stand once more for our hymn, and the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me. 
wasn't me it's it was Jeff good morning everyone oh let's try that again good morning everyone that's better thanks for acknowledging my existence this morning it's always good please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 32 Genesis 32 and we have another wonderful chapter to look at in our study today as our author, we believe Moses, speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit and from God, gives us the truth of his word 
as we continue to unfold first things here in Genesis 32. Starting in verse 1, we recall that uh, Jacob has left Laban and his next opportunity on the horizon is to meet up with Esau. And as we're going to see, that's going to be very concerning. Verse 1 of Genesis 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the, that place Machanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him in the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. With only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he, he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and, and put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you to to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who follow the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say moreover that your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he'll accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Yaboch. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, 
he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, well, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew, in the sinew of the thigh. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. We all are in relationship with people. And sometimes relationships don't go very well. Relationship problems can be increasingly difficult to work through. We easily make missteps along the way. You say that thing you shouldn't have said. You do that thing you shouldn't have done. You're late again. You forgot again. Or perhaps you inadvertently destroyed the, the cherished item that was in your care. When you see that one person at the store, you turn around and go the other way. You know there's a problem, but you don't know what to say to fix it. When you think of that one person or situation, your countenance and attitude falls. Maybe it's a, just a huge misunderstanding and no one seems to care or understand what you're longing for. Or you've been so hurt or possibly you've been so hurtful, or both, and you can't face them again, or worse, you don't want to face them again. As we saw last week, there are a lot of angry and frustrated people in our world, but sometimes we find ourselves under attack because of our own failures, which is the case with Jacob today. And as we'll see today, God will surround us with his protection as we prayerfully seek his deliverance, Seek our opponent's favor, exercise prudence in the face of danger, and provide over-the-top restitution to those we've offended. And ultimately, we need to cling to him for his blessing and restoration. In our series, we've gone back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis. From the very beginning, God has created us to be in relationship with him and with each other. In Genesis 3, we saw how we disrupted God's perfect plan through our own rebellion against him in the garden. And because of this, we were separated from God and each other. Why? Because of sin. Subsequently, God promised that he would redeem a people unto himself. Through the seed of a woman, a child was promised, a Messiah, who would come into the world and destroy the evil one once and for all. And as the book of Genesis unfolds, we see the sea line of our promised redeemer, this Messiah, traced through Adam and Eve's sons, then to Seth, and then to Noah, and to Terah, and to Abraham. And God had promised Abraham to be his God and to bless Abraham and his descendants with a relationship of blessing, with the promised land, and with the promise of children. And from Abraham, the seed line continued through Isaac, and now to Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob is not the promised redeemer but he is in the line of this Messiah we've been waiting for. 
Again, in our account today, the sea lion is under attack as Jacob leaves the danger of the threat of his father-in-law Laban in the north and travels south to encounter a previously enraged brother Esau. Previously, Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright and his blessing from their mutual father Isaac, and now Jacob is seeking to return home and finds himself in crisis and in great fear. Have you ever been in crisis? Have you ever been in great fear? Have you ever needed deliverance from an impending doom or deliverance from an ongoing conflict or situation? If the answer is yes, then this message is precisely for you today. And today in our study, we'll see six spiritual principles from this passage as we pray for deliverance in our relationships. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this incredible text, help us not to miss anything that you might have for us today. Lord, help us to plug in. Help us to engage, to participate in the reading and the hearing of your word today. That we might take these things not from this speaker, but from you. And so, Lord, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth. And Lord, we ask that you'd open your word to us through the power of your spirit for your purposes in our lives today. Again, Lord, help us not to miss anything. Thank you, Lord, for attending to us. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outline, here is the first of six truths. God will surround us with his protection, first of all here, as we continue to walk with him. Notice what it says in verse one and two of this chapter. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. Wow, that's pretty cool. Have you ever been met with a bunch of angels? I don't know that I have. Maybe I have. Maybe, we, maybe you have. I don't know. But here's the case for Jacob. The angels of God met him and it freaks him out a little bit. You see that in verse two? And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. This is awesome. So he called the name of that place Mechanaim, which literally means two encampments. Jacob continues his journey, and he continues to walk with God. Or rather, we could also say God continues to walk with Jacob. But consider Jacob's fears. Behind him is Laban, and before him is Esau. Previously, God had promised to protect Jacob. In Genesis 28, 15, God says, behold, I am with you and, and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God had promised him, you, I'm gonna bring you back. God has always promised his protection for his people. God says to Moses in Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says to us today, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is our God. This is what he's promised all of us. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you need to be delivered from, but he is with you. And he wants to hold you and help you. As you walk with God, he will surround you with his protection, his angels. Angels of God met him. The question is, are you walking with God? 
as you go on your way. Sometimes it seems that God is distant. Has he really gone anywhere? Has God moved somewhere? No. He is always there no matter what. If there are feelings of distance, that's really on us. It's completely on us and not him. Perhaps even this morning you are surrounded by angels who are longing to care for you and encourage you in the face of your difficulties. Notice how Jacob realizes the presence of God. This is clearly God's camp. But secondly, God will surround us with his protection as we humbly seek our opponent's favor. Usually when somebody opposes us, we want them to have a hard time. We don't want to help them. We don't want to do anything nice to them. But notice that Jacob humbly seeks Esau's favor. Look at verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I've sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Notice Jacob's humble approach. What does he say? What does he call Esau? My Lord Esau. Huh. What does Lord mean? In the Hebrew, it's Adonai, master, sovereign. Are you ready? Controller. Whoa. To my master. Say to my master Esau. Notice the second thing he says by way of Humility. Thus says your servant Jacob. Well, this is a different kind of Jacob, right? Previously, Jacob is, man, he's, he's a piece of work, man. This guy, he's a scoundrel. He's kind of a schmuckledite, if you will. I just made that up. But notice how humble he is now. Your servant in the Hebrew, Eved, servant, a bondsman. And he goes on to say in verse 5, I've got resources. I might be of value to you. I wonder to what degree most of our conflicts would be instantly resolved if we all approached each other with a real outward demonstration of humble servanthood. Unfortunately, we often choose to try to dominate situations and people. We become manipulative and sullen when things don't go our way. May I suggest a different approach? Instead, humbly seek your opponent's favor. He says, in order that I may find favor in your sight. Jacob knows that he has no leg to stand on in trying to justify himself and how he has treated Esau in the past. So now he puts on humility. He puts on servanthood, the attributes he should have had all along from the very beginning. God will surround us with his protection as we continue to walk with him, as we humbly seek our opponent's favor. But thirdly here, as we exercise prudence in the face of danger. Notice the wisdom of Jacob here in verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. Can you imagine Jacob hearing that? <gasps> oh no, 400 men? They're going to do me in. It's all over. Verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Have you ever been distressed? Anybody? Anybody dealing with a little stress out there? Jacob was distressed. So what's he do? 
he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Note, there is no word as to whether Jacob's earlier message to Esau was ever conveyed to Esau. We don't find out if that happened or not. Notice also that he just doesn't run for his life. I mean, he could have done that. Just, I'll just run for it, even though he is afraid and distressed. That's what we often like to do. Just, I'm out of here. I'm done with this. We run and we hide. But in reality, Jacob has nowhere to go. He can't go north back to Laban. That was pretty disruptive. And now God is calling him to go home. And so, in the midst of his pressure, in the midst of his distress situation, in the midst of his fear, he exercises prudence. Now, maybe you're not sure what prudence is. We don't throw that word around a lot, so I put a definition up there for you. Having good sense. Now, I, now that's pretty subjective, isn't it, these days? <laughs> we wonder if anybody's got any good sense out there. Let's see if we can help ourselves with more information about what prudence is. Having good sense, having good sense in dealing with practical matters. Carefully considering consequences. See, a lot of times we don't think of the consequences of our behavior or what's going to happen. We don't think about the next chess piece move and whether or not I'll expose my bishop or my rook. We have to be careful with how we move the pieces so we don't put more things in jeopardy than we have to. Carefully considering consequences, using good judgment to consider likely consequences, and then acting accordingly. Careful in managing resources as to provide for the future. It's exactly what he does. We're going to make two camps here. We'll send one out ahead, one behind, and uh, if one's in trouble, the other one can get away, and that's all we can ask for. He's prudent. Now, as we know... Some of us deal with conflict like a bull in a china shop, exercising no prudence whatsoever. We just have outbursts, and we get frustrated, we get angry, and we start dealing with things the only way we think can make any difference. And quite often in that process, we make a lot of things a lot worse. But we too need to exercise prudence and care in how we approach those with whom we find ourselves in conflict. God will surround us with his protection as we exercise prudence in the face of danger. But fourthly here, God will surround us with his protection as we prayerfully seek God's deliverance. It's at this moment that our friend Jacob finally turns to God in prayer. First of all here, he's turning to the one who can actually make the difference. Turning to the one who can actually help us, we could say. Notice what it says in verse 9. And Jacob said, oh God, that's where we should start. Oh God, you ever been there? Oh God, do something, help, make the difference. Oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, oh Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. Finally, Jacob turns to the Lord in prayer. Beloved, it's just never too late to seek God's face. And how often is it that we turn to everyone else but God? We turn to our neighbor, we turn to Instagram and Facebook, we turn everywhere else but to him. 
the one who can actually help us, the one who can actually make the difference. Notice how in this process he reminds God of what he had said before about how he had promised that I may do you good, the very end of verse 9. God is ultimately the only one who can make any difference here. You're the one who said I should return, that I should come back home, that I may do good to you. He is the only one who can actually help us. We should turn to him sooner. But secondly here, confessing how undeserving of God's favor we are. I love this. It's in this moment that Jacob almost seems to finally be waking up from how asleep he's been through everything that we've read about him. He finally confesses, I'm not worthy of anything. Verse 10, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. What an incredible and wonderful acknowledgement. I don't know about you, but I don't deserve anything. I deserve to be run over by a few trucks and then backed over a couple times. That's what I deserve. Why? Because I'm a rebellious man. I'm a sinner. I hate to break it to you, and so are you. We're not worthy of anything but God's judgment. And here, Jacob acknowledges this. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love. He recognizes God's steadfast love for him and God's faithfulness that you've shown to your servant for with only my staff I crossed this Jordan. A long time ago, I passed this Jordan River, and now I have become two camps. He recognizes that God is behind all of my success, all my favor, all my favor. God will surround us with his protection as we prayerfully seek God's deliverance, turning to the one who can actually help us, confessing how undeserving of God's favor we are, but thirdly here, recognizing our absolute dependence on God. I think some of us haven't really come to that place yet. Some of us still think, no, it's really up to me. I'll make the difference. We struggle and we wrestle. Notice what Jacob cries out to God. Please deliver me. Are you seeing it? Are you looking at the text? Please deliver me. And he makes it very specific about the deliverance he's seeking. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, you know, the one that I cheated, the one I stole the birthright and the blessing from, that guy, would you deliver me from him? Again, I'm not sure what you're going through today, but if you're going through a horrible situation, seek him in prayer right now. Cry out to him, please deliver me from fill in the blank. Whatever you need to put in there. Please deliver me. For Jacob, he needed deliverance from a brother he had taken advantage of and been hurtful toward. But what do you need deliverance from this morning? Fill in the blank. Seek his face. Recognize your absolute dependence on him. And then once you do, watch him do awesome things. It's at that point when we finally give up, and we finally come to the end of ourselves, and we finally realize I have nothing left to make any difference here. You're going to have to fix it. It's up to you. Oh, God, deliver me. But fourthly here, casting all our cares on him. Notice what it says in verse 11. 
Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. He calls it what it is. I'm afraid that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children, not just me, but my family. I'm in trouble here. Last thing I knew about Esau, he wanted to kill me. Notice how Jacob calls it the way it is. No false pretense now. No more scheming. No more manipulation. I'm afraid because I'm afraid of my brother. He may come and attack me and my people. I ask you, what are you afraid of this morning? Maybe you're afraid of losing your position. Afraid of losing affection. Afraid of losing favor. Maybe you're afraid of losing face in the midst of a disagreement. Maybe you're afraid of actually losing something tangible of value. Maybe you're afraid of losing control. A lot of us, we don't want to admit it, but a lot of us are control freaks. We want to have control of things. And for us to finally submit to him is to say, I want you to control things. And by the way, I hate to break it to you, he already does. And now let's just acknowledge that, won't we? That he does. This is what Peter writes. Remember Peter, Mr. Denier guy? You know, he denied Christ three times. He writes, this is what he says in 1 Peter, humble yourselves. <laughs> you think Peter understands that? Yeah. Humble yourselves. I, I had to eat it. I had to be humbled by him. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Peter knew that firsthand. He fails three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. The third time he actually swears. Blankety blank blanket, I don't know him. He goes off balling. And then Jesus, John, the Gospel of John restores him three times. Hey, Pete, do you love me? Hey, Pete, do you love Pete? Do you love me? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. I find it incredibly fantastic that it's Peter in the book of Acts who ends up preaching the first gospel message after the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. This guy who was denying Christ is now in the streets proclaiming him. Why? Because God was going to raise him up at the proper time. He can handle that. But don't miss this last part in 1 Peter 5. Look at verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Again, I don't know what you're anxious about today. All of us are anxious about a lot of stuff. We're anxious about our kids, about our careers, about our stuff, about our cars, about you know, whatever. We're anxious about all kinds of things. But take all that and, and throw them, cast them on him. Why? He cares for you. He loves you. Casting all our cares on him, recognizing our absolute dependence on him, confessing how undeserving of God's favor we are, turning to the one who can actually help us. But fifthly here, holding on to God's word. Notice in verse 12, I love this. Jacob goes right back to what God had to say. And you know what? I think, you know, God gave us this whole book, right? 
to remember who he is and what he said and what he's done for us, right? And so we can go to it. We can go to this word and we can call God on the carpet. You're the one who said these things. You're the one who made these promises. And so here, Jacob holds on to God's word, doesn't he? Verse 12, but you said, this is what you said, God. I will surely do you good I will, and make your, make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. He's just remembering God's promises. We have this whole book full of wonderful promises. I will surely do you good. I will multiply you, God says. Other things that God says throughout his book, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will uphold you. I will protect you. I will lift you up, as we just read with Peter. I will come again for you, Jesus says. God will surround us with his protection as we prayerfully seek his deliverance. Who are you seeking for your help today? But fifthly, God will surround us with his protection as we provide over-the-top restitution. This is amazing. This is outrageous. As we provide over-the-top restitution. What am I talking about here? Look at verse 13. So he stayed there that night, that is, Jacob stayed there, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Take a look at this present. Have you ever received a present like this? 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These, these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. There's that humility piece. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. Notice this idea of Esau's lordship and Jacob's servanthood are still tied together. And moreover, he is behind us. Here he comes. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps, maybe, maybe he might accept me. I added the maybe part. So the present passed on ahead of him and he himself stayed that night in the camp. That's quite a present, wouldn't you say? And here we see over-the-top restitution from Jacob toward his brother Esau. Over-the-top restitution. Other places we see this in Scripture. You remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed the sycamore tree. Luke 19, 1. I won't be on the screen, but listen close. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Remember in this passage in the Gospel of Luke, just a few chapters before, Jesus said it's very difficult for a rich man to, to enter the kingdom of God. At one point, you know, what do you mean? How difficult is it? Well, it's like a, a camel going through the eye of a needle. Okay, that's how difficult it is for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about what that might look like. A camel, cam, camel, eye of the needle. It's like whatever that noise is when you pull one of those through. That's how hard it is for a rich guy 
kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so here's Jesus comes into town. You think there's other people hanging out of trees? Oh yeah, absolutely. There were gobs of people hanging out of trees looking for Jesus. Hey, here he comes. And, but he stops under Zach's tree. Hey, I want you to come down. I happen to have an appointment with this rich guy. He doesn't know it. I want you to come down because I'm going to have dinner at your house today. Wow. By the way, Jesus could have just kept walking by. It's as if he knew exactly who he wanted to deal with. Why? Because he came, as the passion says, he came to seek and save that which is lost. And I'm going to demonstrate you to you that what seems impossible for man, camel, eye of the needle, is possible with God. That's what the scripture says. But notice the over-the-top restitution here. Did you catch it in Luke 19? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he heard and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, right? All the righteous, religious people were like, he's going to hang out with a tax collector? That's awful. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, and he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, like, like as if they're not. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That is over-the-top restitution. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Exodus 22.1, little principle of restitution. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. That's over-the-top restitution. I thought it was an eye for an eye and a you know, tooth for tooth. No, apparently it's you know, four sheep for one. Got it? In our culture, we aren't seeing over-the-top anything except indulgence and entitlement. However, with over-the-top restitution, you want to make it so clear that you understand the nature of the loss that you've created, and you want to do everything you possibly can to make it right. Whether that's an over-the-top apology, an over-the-top restitution, over-the-top servanthood. Again, we don't like this idea. I don't want to owe anything to anybody. I'd like to remind you, man, I, I don't deserve anything. And if I've offended someone or hurt them, man, I want to make that right. Uh, if I write an apology to you, it's going to be over the top. I will have no excuse for it, whatever it is. I'm going to own it. I'm going to eat it. Lastly here, don't miss this. God will surround us with his protection as we cling to God for his blessing. And now we come to this very interesting portion of this chapter where there's a wrestling match. Now, years ago, I used to wrestle in high school. I was a wrestler. And um, I, uh, my, my thing, uh, like my freshman year, I was a really good wrestler. Well, I, I got to be careful how I say this. Um, I not only wrestled on the freshman team, but I got to wrestle on the sophomore team too. The reason that the coach wanted me to wrestle for the sophomore team along with the freshman team is because I was very difficult to pin, okay? I had a fish back. I could 
just keep not getting pinned, okay? And so I would lose, but I'd only cost the team three points instead of six. So I was being used, is basically what happened. And so I know what it is to wrestle. Maybe you do too. I used to wrestle with my brothers who are bigger than me, and that never worked out well for me at all. But God will surround us with his protection as we cling to God for his blessing. First of all, seeking time alone with God. Watch what happens here. I want you to see it in verse 22. The same night, again, it's all happening the next day. The same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok or the Yavok or the Yavok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. So he puts everybody away from himself. And verse 24 says, and Jacob was left alone. Now, I'm not sure exactly what he was purposing to do, but what ends up happening is he's gonna find that he's now going to be alone with God. And by the way, that's a very good thing for us to do from time to time, is to find ourselves alone with God. When we take our students out to Wyoming or on a trip, we have what's known as og time. We have og time, alone with God time. We're gonna have times during the day where we're gonna let you get off with God and God's word and read and, and pray. We all need that. And by the way, Jesus demonstrated his complete dependence on his heavenly father by constantly going off to a quiet place to pray like in Mark 135, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And what did he do? And there he prayed. That's what Jesus did. Matthew 14, 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Luke 5, 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Matthew 26, 36, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Notice he's constantly, here is God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and here's Jesus, if you will, constantly demonstrating his complete dependence on his heavenly father. And if Jesus is doing that, how much more so should we be doing that? Demonstrating our complete dependence on him, finding times of being alone with God. Have you set a time in your schedule to be alone with God? If you don't schedule, it's not gonna happen. It won't. It won't. You gotta trick yourself sometimes. I don't know what you need to do. Some of you young people, put your Bible on your bed. You can't get in your bed unless you pick up the Bible and then read it. It'd be a crazy idea. My daughter went to Cedarville University. The, the uh, president of the college constantly was telling the students, no Bible, no breakfast. We have to, when she comes home, you know, she's a career person down in Dayton, Ohio, and she comes home, we can't start breakfast. She'll, she's done with her devotions, for crying out loud. This is a good thing. We shouldn't be bemoaning it. It's awesome. She learned that in college, and now she's still living it. It's beautiful. Seeking time alone with God. But secondly here, as we cling to God for his blessing, working out our salvation. Not working for it, 
Christ has already done all the work for our salvation, but we need to work it out. And in this moment, in these few verses from 24 to 29, we see the outworking of Jacob's salvation. Notice what it says in verse 24. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. The first question is like, well, who's this guy? I thought he was alone. Where'd he come from? When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, in other words, apparently Jacob was a pretty good wrestler, he touched his hip. That's kind of cheating. <laughs> Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Well, okay, so whoever he's wrestling with can, has some cool you know, wrestling moves. Pfft, I'll just nail your hip there, pal. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Again, so far we're not, who is this? Jacob knows. He's gonna tell us in a moment. But I'm not gonna let go of you until you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. Again, in the Hebrew, it would be Yehov. Your name shall no longer be called Yehov, but Yitzrael, Israel. For you have striven with God. You've wrestled. Israel actually means to strive. You've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Again, in a few verses, we're going to find out that from Jacob's perception, he's been wrestling with God all night, if you will, working out his salvation. Just as all of us wrestle with God and we have to work out our salvation, we have to work out our faith, we have to come to a place in our lives where our faith is our own faith and not somebody else's. Some of you young students up here, you're, you're, you're having to deal with that. Am I following after God because my parents did or is this my faith? We gotta work through it. Everyone does. Israel, the one who strives with God, a new name from here on out. His name literally has been changed and on top of it, we're gonna see, if you will, a new Jacob. His character changed as God deals with Jacob in an amazing way. Again, he's not working for his salvation. We know that New Testamentally, Christ has done all the work for us, but rather working out our salvation. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in that day, in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You ever wrestled with God? Did he ever break your leg? He broke mine. No, I'm dead serious. I'm sure of it. Between my sophomore, junior year, I made a commitment to be on fire for Christ. And so I kind of quit doing everything I was doing at the high school. I was involved in music, involved in sports, and I, I got involved in my church. It was a huge church. I got all kinds of things. I was doing all kinds of awesome things. But my senior year, I started thinking that, you know, how am I ever going to touch my friends at my high school for Christ if I never see any of them? I never spend any time with them. 
So I thought, you know, I'm going to go out for football because I love football. So I'm going to go out for football, and uh, I, I'm going I'm to be on fire for Christ with the football team, and I'm going to be a witness. I start going to practices, start hanging out with my football buddies at the high school, doing three-a-days, two-a-day practices. And, you know, it's probably the best physical shape I've ever been. But, you know, it didn't take long after I made a commitment just a year or so before to follow Christ and be on fire for him. It didn't take long for me to be back right in that situation, and I'm just falling right back in with these guys, saying things I shouldn't be saying, hanging out in situations I shouldn't be hanging out with. And during one of the practices, I went out for a pass. I made a cut, planted here, pushed off here off of this leg. I just, I just pushed off. And as I turned around to see the ball, the ball was thrown behind me. And I pushed off this left, this left foot here onto this right foot. And now I am pirouetting around, spinning, spinning with all my inertia to catch this ball back here. My cleats are in the ground. My body is spinning. Pop. It went down in a heap. My leg was broken. Nobody even hit me. I broke my leg by myself. Or dare I say, he took my hip. He dealt with me. He dealt with me by God's grace because now I was going to be on the crutches with my cast on the sidelines the rest of the season. And now I'm getting helmets for these guys, getting them water. I'm now ministering to these guys. I'm praying. I was asked to pray before the games, you know, and I'm not hanging out with these guys in, in compromising situations. God said, oh, you want to be on fire for me? Boom, you're done because you're not doing it. And he dealt with me. I praise God for that. What's he wrestling with you about? I've got a brother who was wrestling with God. Boom, car accident. Boom, well, God dealt with him. And from that move, he ended up going to a Christian college, went off to seminary, and he ended up being a pastor. What's God dealing with you about? What are you wrestling with him about? But notice Jacob's disposition in verse 26. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm holding on to you. We all need to find ourselves clinging on to him. Lastly here, don't miss this. God will surround us with his protection as we cling to God for his blessings, seeking time alone with God, working out our salvation, tenaciously seeking God's face. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Notice what he just said. His conclusion to his overnight wrestling match was that I just wrestled with God last night. And so I'm going to call this place Peniel. And you go, well, that's a weird name. What's that? Well, in the Hebrew... Panim has to do with the face. And in, with great precision, panim in the Hebrew actually means nose. Because it says he saw God. In the Hebrew, it would be translated panim, panim. I saw God nose to nose. And yet my life has been delivered. Are you seeking God's face? There's great examples throughout Scripture of people coming face to face with God. 
Really? I thought nobody's seen God. Oh, there's a few examples. Peniel, the face of God. Panim, panim. I'd like to remind you, it was God who blew, who, who blew in the very nostrils of Adam, the breath of life. I'm pretty sure that's nose to nose. We learn of Moses later who spoke with God, panim, panim, face to face. One of my favorite theologians, R.C. Sproul, talks about the idea that we need to live before God in such a way that we're seeking his face. In the Latin, it's coram dio, before the face of God. Turns out it's not carpe diem, seize the day. That's a Greek motif, a Latin Roman motif. Coram Dio, living before the face of God. I hope that's where all of us end up. Are you clinging to God for dear life? Jacob, that's where he found himself, clinging to God because he had nowhere else to go because he was afraid. Sometimes we find ourselves under attack because of our own failures. Wasn't that the case? He's under attack because of his own rebellion. But God will surround us with his protection as we prayerfully seek his deliverance, seek our opponent's favor, exercise prudence in the face of danger, and provide over-the-top restitution to those we've offended. And ultimately, we need to cling to him for his blessing and restoration. Would you please stand with me as we close our service? As we go to the Lord here in prayer, just to ask a few questions. Are, are you under attack this morning? Do you need to cry out to God for help? Are you in need of his deliverance? Is there someone that you've offended where you know you need to offer over-the-top restitution? Are you clinging to him? Are you holding on to him for dear life? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we all are in desperate need of you. Lord, we thank you for this uh, wonderful example of a man who was a scoundrel in great rebellion who you dealt with by your incredible grace. You could have just taken him out and killed him, but you wrestled with him and you showed yourself to him in an amazing way. Lord, we thank you for the example of his determination to cling to you because there's nowhere else to go. Lord, may that be our case this morning for each one in this room that all of us find ourselves clinging to you, clinging on to you and your word for life, for your protection, for your provision, for your watch care. Lord, sometimes we're the ones who put ourselves in the mess Lord, we need deliverance from even ourselves. No matter how we find ourselves in the mess and the difficulties that we're in, Lord, we know that you're the one we can always turn to and your promises are always true, that you are always there so we can cast all of our cares on you, no matter what it is, even right now. If you had a blank to fill, deliver me from Cast that care at his feet even now. Lord, we thank you that you hear us as we cry out to you in our despair 
and our frustration, but Lord, help us to work out our salvation. But we thank you that you've already worked for it. You're the one who lived the perfect life and died on the cross for us that we might have life. And now, Lord, help us to own that and to walk with you in a way that will be pleasing to you in terms of how we follow you, worship you, trust you, and how we love others. So, Lord, thank you for your incredible provision, your incredible care for us, no matter what's going on. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for attending to us through your word today. We want to give you all the praise. And all God's people said, amen. Well, thank you so much for coming. We're going to start a little meeting in just about 10 minutes or so.